Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 274. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Happy New Year to you all. Hey, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're off to a great start this new year. You may have noticed the past couple weeks we haven't done a Friday Fundamental over the holidays, but we're getting back into that this week, so be expecting that. Well, I'm excited to bring on this week's guest, Aaron Fragnito. Aaron is a co-founder of People's Capital Group, host of New Jersey Real Estate Network, a licensed New Jersey realtor, and a full-time real estate investor. Aaron has completed over 250 real estate transactions, totaling more than $35 million in real estate over the course of his career. Today, we're going to be talking with Aaron about his journey from a ski slope instructor to now a successful apartment syndicator, how he's been able to grow his investment portfolio in his home state in a hot market like New Jersey and all kinds of good stuff. So let's jump right into this week's episode with our guest, Aaron Fragnito. Today, I'm excited to welcome on the show, Aaron Fragnito. Aaron, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me, Jacob. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Well, hey, Aaron, before we jump into all of our great conversation today, can you take a minute? Let's back up. Tell the audience members a little bit about yourself, just who you are, your background, and your kind of journey in real estate investing. Sure. Well, I graduated from uh, Rhode University with an arts degree major and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. You know, so I went out to Colorado and taught kids how to ski for six months. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I figured out I want to own real estate. I don't know how to do it. I don't have any money, but I'm going to figure out how to own and operate a real estate investment company. And I made a list of how to get there. And it turned out the first thing to do, and in my opinion, was to get a real estate license. So I Moved yeah. back home to New Jersey in 2010 and got a real estate license. I learned the industry. I made connections. I made mistakes. I made some money. And I built up an investment portfolio. I teamed up with my partner to this day, Seth Martinez, who does the operations of my business. Wouldn't be where I am without him. And we just bought, renovated, and refinanced out until we got up to about 100 doors over five years. Yeah, so that burst strategy, it sounds... Yeah, yeah, the burst strategy. Like, and we still practice the burst strategy now as well. In fact, I was burring before it was on bigger pockets about burring. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we just didn't call it the burr strategy. You know, we just did it. So basically, you know, the buy, renovate, refinance strategy is, is what the wealthy have been using to build their wealth in real estate for years. It's an age old uh, strategy. And we do that now on a larger scale, but I started with the twos and threes and sixes. You know? Yeah, sure. So going back to like when you bought that very first property, Aaron, you know, you move out to Colorado, teach skiing for six months, decide, hey, you want to get involved in real estate investing, you get your real estate license, which is a really great thing to do. And I think it's got a lot of benefits to, you know, kind of learn in the real estate industry. 
Did you use your income from being an agent to buy that first investment property or what did that look like for you? Yeah, exactly. So it was really hard to make money in real estate in 2010. No one was buying houses. <laughs> I was a brand new agent. I had the worst broker. And I remember I finally sold a house and I made $5,000 and he gave me 500 of it. And he said, read the fine print. And solid. That's not, yeah, solid. <laughs> yeah, really good broker. Yeah. So that's when I figured out, you know, not only do you need to read the fine print, but you need to work with people that have your best interests at heart. And that's sometimes easier said than done. But yeah, I mean, I, I eventually figured out how to make some money as an agent and I was able to save up about $20,000 and I put that down with Seth. He put down another $20,000. You know, we used a hard money lender to get the other like 90% of the money to buy it and renovate it. The first one Seth and I did together was actually a six family, which is a good starting point. Not too big, not too small. You still tend to cash flow on sixes where twos and threes are harder to cash flow on, in my opinion. But it was good. We found it from a We Buy Houses sign that we uh, stapled to telephone poles, right? And uh, we still have guys do that today. I used to run around and do that in a suit and tie to get started. And that worked back then. Worked very well. You know, so we got it for 220 motivated seller. The property needs some work. It was like half vacant. I'm a realtor, so I could lease the thing up. Seth's very good at operations and project management and, you know, yelling at contractors and making sure they get jobs done. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about that deal. Like, you know, were you targeting necessarily multifamily at that time? Were you targeting just single families or whoever would call your sign back? What did that look like for you? Yeah. So I, at the time, I probably didn't have as good exact target and business goals as we do today. But, you know, we knew we wanted to build a portfolio of real estate. Our initial business model, People's Capital Group, our initial uh, outline was to get to a thousand units over three years. Now, this was very ambitious and it's not impossible, but we got up to about a hundred units and we realized that we were working with other management companies and we were at the mercy of these management companies. And we were, one ended up stealing money from us. Another one was just a deadbeat over promising under delivering management company that just wanted to call a plumber when the pipe leaked and collect rents, but they really didn't want to reposition our apartment buildings, our holdings for, for better income, get our expenses down, get our income up, figure out different ways to make income on the building. So we had some growing pains there. We had to develop our own management company. And that allowed us to build and build our portfolio much faster, but also actually cash flow on the buildings we bought. Because I also bought a lot of real estate getting started in a very fast period of time and not all the cash flowed. So one of the mistakes I did was I would buy just anything and everything that worked out in a spreadsheet, you know, whether it was in a really bad part of town or not. And that ended up not being a great strategy because you do have to pick and choose where you buy. There's some areas of some cities where the tenants you're going to get are just so difficult and the buildings really don't make money. And so I learned the hard way that, you know, you're kind of good, better off of middle of the road real estate where I started a lot with class D real estate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that very first six unit, tell us kind of about the details of that deal. You put out this signage, you get a call back from, I'm guessing the owner and Walk us through that deal exactly. Sure. So the We Buy House Designs are great because, you know, especially in a, in a buyer's market back then, it was certainly a buyer's market. And we would get a lot of calls. So, you know, I would list the homes that weren't great investment properties, but it was a great investment property. I'd work out a deal with the seller. In this case, we worked out $220,000 purchase price and the building needed about $50,000 in renovations to get all the other units up and rented and the building working properly. So we were into the property, let's say for 270 after closing costs, called 280, uh, holding costs 290. You know, so the building appraised at I think about 
480 to 500,000, somewhere in there. And we were able to refinance about 70% of that. So we were able to pull out, you know, in the high around like 350 or so. So we were into the building, you know, for 200 and $300,000, right? And we pulled out about 350. So we got back our initial investment. We pocketed a little bit of cash and our tenants are going to pay down that debt over time. Okay, you know, it's safe. It's a safe amount of debt. Seventy percent LTV. The building's worth probably about six fifty today. We probably owe maybe less than three hundred on the mortgage. The tenants are continuing to pay it down, and it cash flows maybe a hundred bucks a door at the end of the month as well. But you know, we have our own manager company that charges the manager fee, and it's a very hands off investment at this point for us. Yeah, that's great. So I think that uh, that burst strategy is so powerful, right? It really allows you to get in and build equity really quickly with one property and allow you kind of snowball, go on to the next deal, next deal. Really powerful strategy for people getting started. I've done it myself on a couple duplexes and I just love the strategy. So next step is you kind of roll that equity into another property. You grow your portfolio to about a hundred doors in three years, right? Was it all through that first strategy? Did you start taking on partners at this point? What did that look like? Sure. Well, we did start to bring on equity partners for some of the bigger deals. You know, we got into a 25 unit building next where we brought in four investors that each brought in $100,000. We bought a small 25 unit in South Jersey for about 1.2 or about actually about 1.1 million. And we had a lot of challenges with that because that's where we tried to hire a number of different management companies and they all ended up not panning out. In fact, one was meeting tenants of the property, collecting the first month's rent security deposit, and then doing it again with another tenant an hour later for the same unit and running off with all the money. So, you know, we had to quickly figure out a solution and we fired our second management company and said, well, if we go and we bring in a third management company, our tenants are going to lose faith in us. So we decided at that point of around 2014 or so to develop our own management company and start managing our own real estate. But, you know, that was a big step forward. We definitely bought, renovated, refinanced out. We did two units, three units, six units. We did 20, the 25 unit we actually sold over time because it was 90 minutes away and very hard to manage. So another thing we decided was we only want to buy within an hour of our office because we're going to manage everything in house. You know, you're raising other people's money. You're saying, Hey, I'm going to do the right things with this money. I'm going to act with integrity. I'm going to execute on a five, 10, 15 year plan. I'm going to make sure, you know, everything goes according to plan. If it doesn't, I'm going to come to you with a solution, not a problem. And, you know, so people really trust you and they invest in you and invest in people's capital groups. So you have to know what you're doing. And a lot of syndicators hire a third-party management company, which is fine. If you're going out of state, you have to do that. But it's a risky, really, proposition for that. So by owning the management company and controlling the assets, we really protect our investors' money. And that's what we've developed over the last five years here, you know. Yeah, that property manager is such a vital team member in the whole operation, right? They're really quarterbacking your property and are really responsible for its performance, right? And so if you've got a bad team player there, it's not going to bode well. So you decide to take that role back into in-house, right? And develop your own property management company and start growing from that way. Now, one thing I also wanted to touch on is you have a partner in this whole deal, Seth. So tell us about that partnership and you know how that's helped you grow the, that side of the business. Sure. Well, I, I couldn't do without Seth, you know, because I am going out and raising capital. I'm doing seminars. I'm doing webinars. You know, we have our New Jersey real estate network with over 3,000 members. I'm constantly participating with uh, new investors, old investors, updates, everything. So my job is investor relations, branding, and marketing. That's a full-time job in itself. To buy, <laughs> you know, three or four apartment buildings a year, 
you basically have to be a fundraising machine. You just have to have so many relationships in the, you know, so many hours in the fire and really be performing so that the capital is there when you do need to strike on a building. So Seth is operations. Seth is very good at managing our contractors, managing our property manager, dealing with the leasing of the buildings, just overseeing all the operations. You know, we have a full-time property manager. We have independent contractors under her. We have a part-time bookkeeper. But Seth kind of oversees all of this, okay? And there's a lot of moving pieces. But raising the money, analyzing the building, and closing on it is just part of the deal. Then you have to start executing on a reposition strategy. And there's usually a three-part reposition strategy for every building. So without Seth, there is no people's capital. You know, it's so important to have your set. You know, if you're good at speaking, you're good at fundraising like me, I enjoy public speaking. I'm most happy in front of a crowd of people telling them my thoughts. That's where I like to be. That's not Seth's strength. His strength is working in project management and, you know, underwriting the deals, the nitty gritty, the spreadsheets. I'm good at that as well. We both underwrite deals, but he's really good at, you know, developing relationships with sellers, locking in the deals. And then just managing the management company, the operations overall of the company. So you've got to partner your weaknesses. And that's exactly what we do here. Yeah, such an important takeaway there just to reiterate, you know, go out and find a partner whose strengths complement your weaknesses, whose your strengths complement their weaknesses. And that's like the true basis of a partnership, right? Oh, completely. You know, I didn't tell you about the bad partnerships I've had too. Like I got started flipping (laughs) houses, you know, Seth and I flipped over 50 houses in our career. We've wholesale hundreds of properties. So we have a wholesale business. We have a house flipping business. We have a whole residential division that makes good money there. But that's a very hands-on part of the business where Seth is equally involved. And I'm also involved on moving the capital into that side of the business, analyzing deals. But it's tough. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces doing the residential and the commercial. You know, so if you don't have a partner that really, you know, complements your weaknesses or complements your strengths, really, by, by their strengths, then it's just there's no way we could deal with all these moving pieces, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're looking for in deals these days, Aaron. You alluded to earlier in your career, you know, you're just buying anything that made sense on a spreadsheet, right? Anything that the numbers crunched out, you know, looking at the real qualitative features of the deal. But there's a quantitative component too, right? Like, is it in an upcoming neighborhood? Is it in an area where you're going to be able to draw quality tenants, things like that, right? That mm-hmm. sometimes the numbers on a spreadsheet don't tell you. So, Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing these days and what you're targeting. Sure. Well, you know, real estate acquisitions is an art. It's not a science. I suppose it's a little bit of both really at the end of the day, you know, but you have to use, you got to know your markets. You got to know your gut. That's another reason why we buy local here. You know, for example, when I bought those first properties, I bought a property on Sunset Ave. The day after I bought it, I found out it was called Gunset Ave because there's so many murders on it. And then someone was murdered in front of my property like two weeks after I bought it. There's a memorial in front of my property. I couldn't believe it. So, you know, try getting your units leased and there's a memorial in front of it. No one wants it, right? So it was definitely a tough situation, obviously a sad situation. But, you know, I learned from that, you know, underwriting a building now. On paper, it was like 14% cash on cash return. It was like a phenomenal investment. But if there's no one that wants to move in, it's not 14% cash on cash return. It's 0%. So, you know, at that point, you know, we recognize that, you know, you have to use your head. You have to know your markets like the back of your hand. If you, you know, a lot of people do buy out of state. That's hard for me to do. I don't really understand that fully because I know these markets so well, unless you really digest a market, right? If you digest a market, you know it very well. You maybe don't have to live there. But I love being able to drive out to the properties, looking at the neighborhoods going out there, you know, 
I always people say, hey, what should I do for my first investment? Should I invest in Dallas? It's great down there. I say, I'm sure it's great down there. But for your first property, do something local. Do something that you can keep your eyes on. Real estate is a local thing. There's different ordinances. If you go one town over, there's a yeah. whole new set of rent control laws, right? And they completely, completely offset your investment strategy. You know, and if you go one more town over, then there's a whole new certificate of occupancy set of laws. You know, so you gotta know your ordinances, you gotta know your town, you gotta know your markets. Once we started to really become masters of our market, we started to make more more profit. Yeah. And you're making that strategy that you really like work, which is mostly a burr strategy here, right? In your market. Now, there are markets out there across the US that that might not be the best strategy, right? So somebody might be sitting at home thinking, well, great, Aaron lives in an awesome market where it works and he's, you know, lucky and I'm not, right? But like you said, it doesn't have to necessarily be your home market. You just have to really know that market, like the back of your hand, if you're going to invest out of state or, you know, across state or something like that. So. Yeah, well, very few people do invest in New Jersey because it is hard to find a very good deal here. The taxes are high and there's rent control. So those three things make it really hard to find a good investment opportunity in the apartment building space and the syndication space in New Jersey. Now, we've cracked the code. We'll do twenty, thirty to $30,000 of marketing to find one good deal. We do. We market to all different types of worn out landlords. We have great connections with wholesalers and brokers. So we get access to properties before a lot of other people even know about them. So because of that, we really have our ear to the market here. So just another reason why to hone in on a really good market. And that's, you know, how we we source our deals. But, you know, you have to know the different laws. You have to know different regulations. You have to recognize your value add strategy and and what, what can go wrong. But New Jersey is a very hard place to do a syndication. It's a very hard place to find a good deal. And that's why people go out of state. They raise the money here. New York, New Jersey is a lot of wealth, and, and we usually raise money very successfully. But then a lot of people go to Atlanta, you know, Buffalo or Miami or, or Texas to go actually place the capital. We don't. We buy, do it all here. And I think investors like that. Yeah, kind of goes back to your philosophy of keeping things in house right and under your umbrella, in your market, in your own wheelhouse, you know, managing it yourself, laying hands on it every day, kind of very hands-on active investors. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And you got to be, I mean, in my opinion, for at least small syndications like what we do, you know, you really need to understand what you're getting into, understand the investment, you know, better than anyone else and, and who's bringing the capital in and just understand what could go wrong, what the red flags are. And that's why raising capital is a good thing, because when you raise capital, you have dozens of eyes and ears and minds looking at the offering memorandum you've created. So if there's a typo in it, <laughs> they tell you pretty quickly, or if your numbers are off, or if your strategy doesn't make sense, the best way to learn is to go get feedback and try to raise capital for that deal. Although if you're trying to do a syndication, you should probably you know, <laughs> have a large amount of capital ready to go or lot, lot, you know, good relationships in place with uh, high net worth investors. Right? Yeah, sure. Laren, you started investing in about 2010, you said when it was a, really a buyer's market now and today, I'm assuming you're part of the country, like most of the rest of the country, much is a seller's market. So what are you doing differently in your business today that you weren't when you first started out? Well, we've really adapted our model so much through the years. I mean, People's Capital Group doesn't even look the same as it did you know, years ago. I mean, we were flipping houses for many years. You know, one of the mistakes I made without fast forwarding to the, the questions later, but one of the mistakes I made definitely was I went it off in too many directions. I'm flipping 50 houses. I'm wholesaling 60 deals one year. You know, I'm buying apartment buildings. I'm raising capital. I'm learning markets. 
I'm building a real estate networking group, you know, New Jersey Real Estate Network. And all these things are moving in the same direction. But I think if I just focused on, you know, developing the management company, buying apartment buildings, you know, then that would be where we doubled down. But it, at the end of the day, the flipping the houses, you know, we did a lot of that in 2014 and 2015, 2016, when the sun was shining, it was time to flip houses. We could find really discounted single family homes and small multifamily homes here in New Jersey, especially in inner city areas. They were just giving them away. And so it was easy to find a cheap deal, or put some lipstick on it and sell it for a higher price. Or we would, you know, find a cheap investor opportunity at a share sale auction. In 2016, we made almost a million dollars wholesaling share sale properties. It was like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, wow. we would go to the auction with, you know, a million dollars in cash to cycle through four different counties here in Jersey. So we had the cash to put down to 20% at the sheriff sale auction. We'd put down to 20%, lock up a deal for a hundred thousand, go back to our office, send out an email to our investors and flip the assignment, assign the bid for, you know, $50,000, right? The investors say, well, I'll pay $150,000 for that property. We'll say, okay, well, we have it under contract at a hundred for a fee of $50,000. We'll sign you the contract and then he can go and close on the property. He's happy. He got his property at a good price. We're happy we made 50 grand and we never had to own the property or own title or take title. That's called wholesaling, assigning contracts. Right. right? So we did that for years. We made a lot of money doing that. And that was great because the apartment buildings don't make a lot of money off the bat, especially as you're repositioning them and turning over units. There's money going out. There's not as much coming in. So, you know, the first year or so could be tough. So as far as a syndicator looking to put food on my plate, I needed a way to make my day-to-day money so I could pay my rent. And that was wholesaling, being a listing agent as a realtor and flipping houses. And now you've kind of changed gears or became a more focused gear towards syndication, it sounds. Correct. Not only did the market change, right? So we used to be able to walk in a share sale auction and make a hundred grand in a week. So we were like, okay, let's focus on this right now. You know, and we did. We made hay while the sun shine. But now you go to an auction and there's, you know, three times as many people there. None of them know what they're doing. They're all overbidding for properties. Everyone's first time there and they're overpaying and overpaying. So, you know, the cat's out of the bag. The opportunity here in New Jersey has certainly been diminished at sheriff sale auctions. So we are focusing on other opportunities. We see a lot of value add in apartment buildings, mismanaged apartment buildings. I'm not talking about completely damaged, fire damage, you know, terrible. You know, I'm talking about buildings that are just a little mismanaged. Maybe the landlord forgot to raise the rent for five or 10 years. You know, he's kind of been doing all the repairs and maybe a little just repairs that have been pushed off for so many years. And because of that, you know, he's looking to sell for discounts. So it's a motivated landlord, you know, and the rents are so strong here in Jersey. They've been very strong for years. There's a huge demand to live near New York City, but not in New York City. We could lease you a one bedroom that gets you into Manhattan in less than an hour for $1,100, which is really good. You know, where if you want to live in Manhattan, which by the way, if you live in the wrong part of Manhattan, it could still take an hour to get to your job, depending where you live. It's going to be three or four times that, you know, so we underprice the market. We're middle of the road real estate. It gets you to Manhattan less than an hour. And that's where we're placing our cards right now. And we think it's a good bet. Well, Aaron, what does the future hold for the People's Capital Group? Are you guys going to continue syndicating deals in the New Jersey market, looking to expand? What's the future look like? Well, another thing I learned is if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So we're doing very well right now. It's taken years to develop a good management company here, a good management strategy. Our management systems are always being fine-tuned. 
So I'm just going to keep on fine-tuning what we're doing here. We're going to keep raising capital. We're talking to a number of family offices. We're looking at some $13 million buildings. We're looking at some $3 million buildings. We're working with people that self-direct $30,000 from their IRA and hedge funds that say, don't come to me if it's less than a $5 million investment. So we're looking at a lot of different options here on the syndication level. We're syndicating from small-time investors into modest apartment buildings. We're looking at larger apartment buildings that we would syndicate with the help of institutionalized money. Very different conversations, different strategies. But at the end of the day, you know, the syndication strategy where you break up the equity in an investment and our investors get you know, the lion's share of the equity, but we still get ownership equity in the building. We manage the building. We control the asset. It's a great retirement strategy for an operator. It's a great retirement strategy for an investor. You know, and at the end of the day, we're doing very well with that. And we are starting to get into some very interesting buildings and some very large apartment buildings. And the public is reacting very well to it. People want in. People want to invest. You know, I mean, compared to a stockbroker or something, we're saying, hey, you know, here's a building. It's uh, half an hour from where you live. It's already making money from day one. It's going to cash flow from day one. Here's the, you know, 15 things we're going to do to get that cash flow up by, you know, 8% a year over five years. And then we're going to refinance. It's, it's an explainable, understandable strategy. People need to pay their rent, whether the market's up or the market's down. You know, the stock market has had a really good run. So a lot of people are saying, listen, I had a good run in the stocks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little off the table and I'm going to put it into an apartment building here that I know is going to be giving stuff. It's not the fanciest apartment building on the market. It's not the worst apartment building on the market. It's right in the middle of the road and it's good le- level tenants and well-managed. Well, Aaron, it sounds like you're awfully bullish on the New Jersey market based on your experience, right? So do you foresee it being harder and harder to find deals and expand and grow your portfolio being in that one market? Now, I know that you know New Jersey's a, very populated state and there's I'm sure a lot of apartment buildings. It's not like you're nearly buying them all at this point, but mm-hmm. you know, do you foresee there being any kind of a ceiling that you're going to reach? Uh, New Jersey is so big. There's so many people here. There's so many properties, you know, North Jersey. I mean, you know, this is a, it's not really a sub market, right? I mean, North Jersey is only a sub market because you have Manhattan. So yeah. you can call it, but it's like one of the largest submarkets. you know, it's like saying like, oh, I buy outside of Los Angeles, you know, well, that's like hundreds of thousands of buildings, right? So I don't know, right now, the hardest part is finding a good deal at the rate we can raise capital is usually the rate we can find deals. The market, it was really hard to find a good deal about a year ago. It's gotten a little easier. So, you know, the market moves in four phases, right? Buyer's phase one, buyer's phase two, seller's phase one seller's phase two. So we're at seller's phase two, arguably right now. And I do see, you know, a little bit of like, well, you know, sometimes the buyer's phase one a little bit, you know, it depends on the scenario and how motivated the seller is. But we're seeing a lot of people are putting their buildings on the market now. And because of that, there's more inventory and you never want to overpay for a building. You don't want to buy at the height of the market. But, you know, you do have to understand that if it's a good building with a lot of value add, in an area that's going to continue to have demands, then you can make money in any market cycle. In fact, a little slowdown might be a little welcome because then I could get better investment opportunities in the apartment buildings. You know? Yeah, sure. Awesome. Well, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking to you about your journey, how you got started investing in real estate, what you're doing now. As we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round. We'd like to fire at you just a series of questions. You up for it? 
Sure, let's go. All right, cool. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? Well, I'd say my biggest hurdle getting started in real estate actually wasn't the money. It was actually the partner I took on, not Seth Martinez. I took on another partner <laughs> years ago. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to raise capital for my first flip from my father. Now, I had a couple of small businesses before that. I was selling a lot of houses as a realtor at that point. So he said, okay, I'm going to invest you. But I brought in a partner who ended up stealing money from the account, not having any integrity, not holding up his end of the agreement. And we ended up having to just take back, you know, get him off the deed, you know, as quickly as possible. So it was definitely a bad experience. We only lost $7,000 with the flip. My father's made far more than that invested with me to this day. But, you know, I jumped in with a partner who the last business he had filed for bankruptcy, which was a coaching business on how to run your business, which he filed for bankruptcy. The irony, huh? (laughs) Irony. And I'm like, oh, you'd be a good business partner. So I took him on and. That was a big mistake, you know, but I laugh about it today. Yeah. Well, do you have a personal habit, Aaron, that contributes to your success today? My wife just, she's like, I hate it when we do things together because you just never stop working. She's like, I'll just keep going like uh, until I fall asleep. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's all about work ethic. You know, there's no secret sauce. I'm not very, very smart. I'm not uh, very good looking. I I wasn't born into a ton of wealth. I um, had $5,000 for my grandpa to get started. I get my butt out of bed in the morning. I have a to-do list. I execute as much as I can and I get out of bed the next day and I do it all over. So anyone can do a real estate syndication and just kind of hustle your butt off, you know? Yeah. I love that perspective. Well, Aaron, do you have an online resource that you find valuable in your day-to-day? Um, you know, I do like to go on bigger pockets, although I find it's like, it's almost too much right now. Like there's too many forums and too... You know, but you know, the internet's an amazing place. I can go on, like, look at Zillow, for example, right? Just the website Zillow.com is a great place to actually get a ton of information. Like, before I even go on the, I'm a realtor, so I have access to the MLS, but I don't go on the MLS first. I go on Zillow. It's actually easier for me to pull comps sometimes at Zillow. So it's interesting. Yet, I really enjoy that site, you know, with the podcasts and the Zillow sites and all, all the ways to reach out to people and research properties. Like, you know, just take advantage of that. You know, I've been getting on dozens of podcasts. It's been great you know, as well. So I do enjoy podcasts for information also. Yeah, great stuff. Well, do you have a book that you recommend to the listeners and why? I would have to say Rich Dad Poor Dad. I know a lot of people suggest that one. I'm, I'm being quite cliche, but you know, it changed my life. I read it senior year of uh, college and you know, I said, yeah, I actually had read it right before I moved out to Colorado. Cause, and then I read more when I got out there, I read Trump University, the David Lindahl books, and they all told me how easy it would be to start a real estate syndication company. So I said, oh, I can do it. you know. But it all started with Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, I love it. We'll link that book in the show notes if our audience members buy off chance, haven't picked it up, highly recommend it. Aaron, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Aaron? Ooh, uh... <laughs> Stop dating so many girls and focus on. <laughs> probably, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, 20 year old Aaron was, uh, well, I was in college then. So I think I was figuring out who I was and what I want to do with my life. And, and you know, this college taught me kind of how to show up on time and get myself out of bed. And I don't really use calculus too. I have no idea 
statistics. You you know, I know what a statistic is, but apparently I took like multiple, le- you know, but if you put, ca- I remember my buddy uh, did like calculus the other day. I didn't even recognize it. I don't even recognize what <laughs> calculus is, but I took like level two calculus. So listen, I mean, college taught me how to show up on time, do my work when no one was really pushing me to do it. And that's hugely important. I did an internship with Colin Burke's painting in terms of, so, you know, 20 year old Aaron, I would say just, I always knew I had it in me to do it, but I didn't really buckle down until I got back from being a ski instructor. I think I had to get that out of my system too. So, you know, I would say maybe chill out, <laughs> stop partying so hard, enjoy yourself. But at the same time, you know, I probably could have started taking action then to build my business faster, but I just wasn't really emotionally, I think, mentally ready, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. As Robert Kiyosaki would say, focus on those assets and not those liabilities at that point, right? <laughs> well, I mean, being a successful entrepreneur is, is so important to be emotionally healthy, physically healthy, although I need to work on that more, you know, and just be in control of yourself, have self-control, you know, especially once you start making money, right? Because how many guys go out there, oh, I just made a hundred grand, you know, the first time I made a hundred grand, I went and bought an Audi, you know, like, that's what I would have said, don't go do that, you know, so... But it was definitely, you know, being an entrepreneur is all about self-control, still getting yourself out of bed, still working hard, still acquiring those goals. Once you start to get the taste of success and instead of just enjoying your time and your money, you still having to work hard and do things you might not enjoy doing while you're financially secure is hard. So, you know, that is such an important skill to have that self-control. And if you talk to anyone who's extremely successful, they have really good self-control, like to the point where like, they may not even have a lot of fun where I'd like to have that middle point where I still have a social life, you know, and don't go crazy, but you got to develop good personal skills really to be successful in business. Yeah. Such great advice. Well, let's end it right there on that high note, Aaron, before we wrap up, can you tell a little bit about where people can learn more about you, where they can go to connect with you, find out more about what you're doing with people's capital group? Sure. So our website's peoplescapitalgroup.com and that's peoples with an S, capitalgroup.com. We have uh, different events here at our office. We also have a real estate networking group on meetup.com called New Jersey Real Estate Network. So if you go on meetup.com, you'll see New Jersey Real Estate Network. We have events at our office like three times a month. So if you're local to New Jersey, you can come to one of our events at our office. If you're not, you can jump on one of our webinars. All that information is on our website, peoplescapitalgroup.com. But yeah, I mean, come to one of our events, come to one of our webinars. We really try to put a lot of good content out there. We're open book to how we do what we do. We have something called a learn and earn program where new investors can learn what we're doing, get our documents and our spreadsheets and get all the stuff for free that we use to run and analyze our business. And we give that to them just for investing with us. And that's completely free. So we try to work with new investors, you know, hungry investors. We also work with very experienced and multimillionaires, but you don't have to be one to work with us. You'd be really anywhere on the spectrum. And it all starts with our website, peoplescapitalgroup.com. Great. That's peoplescapitalgroup.com. We'll link that website in the show notes if you want to go check that out. Aaron Fragnito, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been so much fun talking with you. Thanks a lot, Jacob. You have a good day. Talk to you soon. Take care, Aaron. Bye. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Aaron Fragnito. Hey, I hope you got so much value from that conversation. If you want to learn more about anything we mentioned in the show today, you can find all of the links to those resources in the show notes. 
As always, for more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobairs.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.